Hey, really quick, just wanted to warn you that there is some colorful four-letter words that rhyme with truck that are in this episode. And so if you're listening in the car or there's other people around, I just wanted to give you a warning that there is going to be a couple of F-bombs. Um, I use a snippet from a podcast episode and they're cussing in that podcast episode. I get a little bit passionate and start using some colorful words as well. So just wanted to forewarn you uh, before the uh, actual podcast got started. Enjoy. What's going on? Welcome to the Barbells and Burgers podcast. I am your host, Shane Hubbard. I hope you are doing extremely well today. Thank you for joining me. Today we are going to be talking about why diet sustainability should be your number one weight loss priority. So if you're trying to lose weight right now and maybe you're struggling or you've struggled in the past and you really can't seem to get past that hump, we're going to be talking about Uh, a lot of different things that can help give you perspective on why thinking about a long-term diet or a long-term change to your nutrition and sort of your mindset around going about weight loss is very, very important. So I'm going to do this podcast a little bit differently than the way I've done it in the past. I'm actually going to take a snippet of a podcast that Joe Rogan did with... um, Lane Norton and D or Dom D'Augustino. And you can look this up on YouTube. In, in fact, if you type in Joe Rogan diet sustainability, this snippet will come up. And I'm going to chop it up into different pieces so that we can focus on one thing at a time. But they had a very interesting discussion. Now, all of, well, other than Joe Rogan, all of the people in the podcast, so um, Lane Norton and Dom D'Augustino, are both experts like top-notch legendary experts in nutrition, diet, weight loss. Um, Dom D'Agostino is a ketogenic researcher or he he studies the ketogenic effects on you know biochemistry and longevity and all these different things. I don't know exactly what he does, but I know that he's an extremely well-versed uh, researcher and he's also a practitioner. So he actually used to be a bodybuilder. Um, But he's a PhD scientist. So is Lane Norton. Uh, Lane is the guy that I sort of, when I was early, when I was very early on developing my style or my approach as a coach, I modeled a lot of what I did after Lane. Uh, I didn't model everything. I didn't, I didn't necessarily adapt his personality, but I liked his approach and that he was sort of non-dogmatic and he would very as you'll hear he would say all the time listen this is what the research shows it doesn't matter which route you choose if these check boxes are marked off and one of the things he talks about a lot is as diet sustainability and also adherence so if you're able to adhere to a specific diet that should really be the only standard that you keep for yourself because adherence is going to produce the best long-term weight loss results that you actually can keep. So the most common thing in weight loss is losing weight and then gaining it back shortly after. And by shortly after, I mean you know within six months to a year. And so um, Lane's main message is, listen, you can do whatever you want, but let's make sure that it's following some basic principles like uh, the principle of energy balance, so you know calorie deficits for losing weight, 
And let's also make sure that we prioritize adherence so that we can actually stick with the diet, make it a lifestyle change, and make weight that we lose stay off. So I'm going to go ahead and play a clip really quick where Joe Rogan, uh, Lane, and then Dom are all talking about diet sustainability. And also, you know, Rogan's perspective, unfortunately, in my opinion, is sort of biased in the sense that he believes that, and, and he's not necessarily completely wrong. Like, don't get me wrong. Everyone that has an argument in this little snippet is right in, in a certain way. But I think that there's maybe too, too much emphasis on the fact that people need to be like hardcore disciplined. And my approach as a coach has always been, listen, you sort of have to teach discipline by giving somebody something that they're able to do and help them build their own confidence so that discipline isn't something they're relying on 100%. Because I think that if you rely on discipline, you're always going to fail. It's a good strategy to get into the habit of doing something, but eventually you want to be able to create a habit out of things that used to be only created essentially by having stricter discipline. So anyway, I'm going to go ahead and play the clip. You can listen to it and then we'll talk about it. That the data is very mixed. Again, if we look at the overall data set, very mixed and all diets have terrible adherence, right? But right. a lot but of that- again, that's discipline. Yeah, but we also now we got drives me crazy. I don't want to talk about people who aren't disciplined. <laughs> I really, really, I really have a giant hard problem with but that how because I know so many disciplined people, and I just I feel their momentum and vibration, and I'm like, I just want to concentrate on what they're doing because all these people that can't do it, I feel like that's contagious. You but, start thinking about people that can't adhere to diets and fall. Off. I get it for you because it's something that you do but professionally. I'm, but I'm gonna I'm gonna make it so for you the ketogenic diet clicks. And or or eating more meat clicks. That that's something that you really enjoy. You like the state. You like no, the state. So, I, dude, I love pasta. It makes well, hang on, it makes discipline hang on. easier because yeah. it regulates your But the your data appetite. doesn't support I think that. So too. The I data think. doesn't. But, but the in, data in, doesn't support that it makes discipline easier in terms of your adherence or in terms both. of your long term adherence. Both, both. So, but but hang on, hang on. Okay. For some people, for some people, this works better mm -hmm. because they feel better. They have better adherence. For other people, if you say, now you've got some people. If you say, hey, you can have a cookie, it, they would it would screw them because they would they would just go crazy. But for other people, if you allow them more flexibility, their adherence improves. What I'm saying is, we need to give people all the options on the table, not demonize any one diet, mm -hmm. and say, hey, maybe you try to figure out what work for lack of sounding bro, what this works for you, and what you can sustain. Go from there. But see, this is I'm the totally problem. in agreement. I, I, like, I am as well, but you keep saying can sustain. You definitely can sustain more than you do. The, the, the real problem is a giant percentage of the people are weak. Oh, I would agree with that. Like it's in the 30, well, 40 percent people just quit, give up, don't do what they're supposed to do, don't do as many reps as they're supposed to do, don't work out, take days off just because they're lazy. And those are the people that get off the diet. It's a discipline issue so more than anything. All right, so a lot to unpack there. And I think that everyone made a good point, but I want to sort of unpack that for you to help you better understand this. Unfortunately, I think Joe Rogan's opinion on discipline is lacking empathy. Um, and he even mentions that like Lane's perspective makes sense and his fight to make it more understandable is due to the fact that he's a coach like Lane. Norton has been a coach for probably as long as I've been alive or, or close to it. 
And what Lane is consistently trying to convince Joe Rogan to understand is that simply just telling somebody that they don't have discipline and like as if that's some sort of mystery or that's like some sort of like huge epiphany that the person's going to have, I don't agree with. I don't think that Joe Rogan understands that discipline is not something that you just like you either have it or you don't. It is a skill. You have to prove to yourself that you can do things that you didn't think you can do. And discipline does take it does play a role. Like I'm not saying that that it's not useful, but what I am saying is is that at least from a coach's perspective, from my perspective, most people do not believe they can do the thing that it, that it takes to lose weight or achieve whatever goal they're trying to achieve. And as a coach, what you have to prove to them is that they are their biggest enemy and their mindset or their mental approach to things is from a defeatist perspective. And what you encourage the person to do, regardless of what the goal is, is to take small steps that are that are challenging from the perspective of the person trying to achieve it, but are still achievable with hard work. So I might give a client a workout that is more challenging than doing nothing, but I'm not going to create a workout that completely defeats them because they've just learned that doing the thing they want to do to achieve the result they want to achieve is too much too soon. And that's just not the right approach. And so I think that Rogan, unfortunately, is sort of giving a perspective that you need to just like force people into being disciplined. And that comes from being disciplined himself. And I and I know this because when you develop a certain level of discipline where it's not a question of if you should do something, it's more like when you're going to do it, right? It's not like, hey, should I work out? It's like, no, when today are you going to work out? That's a whole different level. And to argue anything, you know, to argue from the standpoint that Rogan's arguing, I don't think is beneficial to the average person. And that's what I believe Lane is sort of trying to hint at. So there's that side of things when it comes to, to discipline. When we're talking about diet sustainability, I think that that sort of obviously gets thrown into, into this conversation. And Rogan's approach is that, well, you just don't stick to your diet because you're not disciplined. And when you look at the science, it's actually more important to focus on how behavior change occurs in terms of a, re, of a reliable resource for understanding how to not need to use discipline 24-7. So you hear a lot about discipline, you hear a lot about willpower, and it's not really clear how much willpower and how much discipline you should have. Here's my perspective as a coach both from what I've looked at when it comes to the actual science that's been done on you know, behavior change and also from my own personal experience working with clients. If you do not prioritize the changing of habits or behaviors, you will consistently chase weight loss results, meaning that you will lose weight temporarily so long as you are doing the diet thing, right? You're decreasing the calories, you're changing the composition of your calories so they favor um, easier weight loss or weight loss that's going to be more sustainable. But if you do not practice that going forward, like if you don't practice that in some way, shape, or form for the rest of your life or you know for the majority of your life, because it is somewhat 
easier to maintain results once you've achieved, achieved them. So for instance, if you've been working out five days a week and you want to take three months off from doing that much workout, um, much working out, and you do two to three, you can maintain the results that you have. Okay, so that's an important thing to understand. It's not like you have to always be in a calorie deficit in order to lose weight. You can you can sort of uh, practice more uh, more moderation and more maintenance. But if you don't install the program of creating behavior change, you will constantly rely on discipline and willpower. So discipline and willpower are both useful tools. But to simply just tell someone they don't have discipline and they need more discipline doesn't really change behavior. If it did, then we wouldn't really need to study behavior at all, right? If, if all I had to do was tell my clients, you need to be more disciplined, I, I would get paid to basically just tell people that they need to be more disciplined, right? It's, it's not that simple. Instead, what you do is you sort of disguise discipline with, with um, accountability. So the majority of people that hire me as their coach I shouldn't say the majority. There is a subset of people that hire me as their coach who know enough about nutrition when it comes to like a calorie deficit and organizing their meals to sort of revolve around protein and vegetables and good healthy carbohydrates and, and having flexibility and not being overly restrictive. They get a lot of that. Also on the fitness end, they get that they should be doing some sort of, you know, some form of a workout. The problem is, is that they don't have the accountability to do the thing that they need to do on a consistent basis. So they need an external form of accountability. And what a coach ultimately should do, in my opinion anyway, is teach someone how to have their own accountability system. Now, don't get me wrong. There are plenty of people that are totally comfortable paying me to be their accountability system and not learn how to be accountable on their own. Like I've, I've had clients literally tell me, if you don't show up to my training session, I'm not going to do it. And so my goal always is to build self-efficacy, but it doesn't always happen in the timeline that I'd like it to happen. So you sort of have to teach people discipline versus just telling them to be disciplined. And sometimes having a coach is the only way to really get that ball rolling. So anyway, when it comes to diet sustainability and discipline, I think that it's more about creating strategies that help you stay adherent to whatever you're doing, to be accountable to something or someone, and then as a result, you sort of develop your own ability to be disciplined. Complaining about people not having discipline is sort of a victim mentality in my perspective. And maybe this is my perspective because I'm a coach and so I see further into this than Rogan sees it. And that's fine. I mean, it's not his job to be, you know, the person who keeps people accountable or explains behavior and, and things like that, because he's always sort of been a disciplined exerciser or a person in fitness. But he has a platform that is widely accepted as, you know, maybe not truth, but he's got 5.81 million people that listen to him on YouTube. And probably just as many on his actual podcast on iTunes, although I think he's moving to Spotify soon. So we'll see how that goes. So my point is, is that if you're taking Rogan's side, I sort of understand it. But as from a coach's perspective, and if you're listening to Rogan's perspective, and it sort of creates a sense of defeat in you, I want you to know that you're not hopeless. 
um, he just doesn't fully understand the perspective of what's going on with this kind of mentality. Simply telling people to be more disciplined doesn't solve the problem. And I'm all about solving the problem in the most in the most ethically based and scientifically based way possible. So when you look at behavior change, what does the research show? It shows that just like pretty much any other skill, you have to be challenged enough for there to be a stimulus to actually overcome. But the challenge cannot be overly challenging because if you consistently lose more than you win, you sort of have this internal dialogue that that thinks, why is this worth it? So like, let's take exercise, for example. If every workout makes you want to vomit, what's the likelihood that you're going to want to do that workout multiple times? Unless you're a masochist, you're probably not going to want to do that workout again. I've been contacted by numerous people, email, social media, that tell me they're, they're tired of doing workouts that leave them like wanting to vomit. And I said, good, you come to the right place because that's not how I coach. I coach with a behavior improvement philosophy, which means that, yes, there is going to be a challenge, but you can overcome the challenge if you put the work in, right? When I'm starting to coach somebody, I give them a challenge that is completely doable. In fact, I've even had clients laugh at the habit that I asked them to create because it's such a small thing in their mind, right? Someone who hasn't ever exercised before, I might say, go for a 10-minute walk around your neighborhood. And they're like, really? You're not going to give me like a weightlifting program? And I'm like, no. You know, what's the likelihood that you're going to walk into a gym right now? And most people, especially with Corona, are like uh, very slim. I'm like, okay. So I'm working, I'm meeting you where you're at, and I'm giving you a challenge that you haven't completed yet. So it might seem simple, it might seem small, it might not even seem like that's going to be that effective. But the point is not to like try to lose seven pounds of body fat in a week, it's to create a habit and a behavior that over time creates an effect that you're looking for, whether that's building exercise adherence, whether that's losing weight, which for a lot of people, you know, in this specific podcast, we're talking about weight loss priorities and why diet sustainability is important. It's about building the habit. It's about building the consistency, not about trying to produce the result from the beginning. Because if you connect enough of the domino, so you can kind of think of it like a domino effect, or you could think of it like an investment on a stock, right? The more that you invest in a stock, the more money you put into that stock, if that stock is doing good, which for the you know, the sake of this example, let's just say that every time you put money into a specific stock, the company you work for or whatever matches that. Well, that's sort of like health. Like if you're going to put more exercise into your routine per week within reason. If you're going to stay more consistent with a calorie deficit, if you're going to eat um, you know, a recommended amount of protein per day to build muscle or to keep muscle mass on your body, if you are going to practice stress management, if you're going to invest all of these things, the return that you are going to get is going to be double and sometimes you know, it's going to multi- multiply or exponentially grow. 
And so that's how you have to think about it. It's like in the beginning, just focus on doing the thing that needs to be done and do it in a way that is sustainable. Meaning that if your workout makes you puke every time, you're probably not going to do that workout very often. And you might say, oh no, you know, I'm going to have enough discipline to do it. I don't care. I haven't been proven wrong since I've become a coach about a statement like that. It's not going to happen. I have plenty of people tell me, oh yeah, I'm going to work out five days a week. No, you're not. I don't care how, how dedicated you think you are. One out of 10 people that say that to me actually do it. And that's just not statistically strong enough for me to say, you know what, that's a valid argument. 90% of people don't do it that way. So instead of trying to kind of push your ego in a way that, that isn't going to likely happen, why not just accept the fact that maybe starting off small is the best thing to do and, and not worry so much about what it looks like to other people or, you know, like that's probably the number one reason why we, we sort of become insecure in certain situations. And I know this was true for me is that I would look at a small habit and go, well, what's that going to prove? And thinking retrospectively, because I just don't think of it like this anymore, that was driven by social pressure to do the thing that was most impressive, right? Why do you think people on Instagram are doing uh, barbell back squats standing on a stability ball? Is it because they that's proven to work in terms of like, squat stability and strength no it's because it looks impressive or it looks cool or it looks dangerous enough to be like whoa why is that person doing that that's a that's completely driven by a social factor so if you're the kind of person that's like well it's not impressive to add just one you know serving of protein a day and what's that really going to do in the short term to that, I would say you need to change your perspective on why we're even doing this thing. We're building an exponential habit that meets you where you're at, that creates enough ease of use. So like, for instance, if I give you a, a workout program and I say, do this three times a week, and for four weeks, you only do it once, you might look at yourself as a failure. I look at that as, oh shit, I didn't program this person correctly. Or something in your life came up and you might think, well, you know, I'm a failure. I only worked out once a week for four weeks. I never got the other two workouts. And so in your mind, you failed because the standard that I provided for you, you weren't able to meet. As a coach, what I do is I look at that as, okay, I gave this person too much to try to achieve from the start. So let's dial it back. Let's meet them where they're at. It looks like you're able to do one workout a week. Now, is one workout a week going to solve all of your fat loss or fitness problems? No, it's not. But right now, one workout a week might be all that you can commit to. And just as a side, if you can only commit to one workout a week, you should probably re, um, reevaluate how you're spending your time because there's definitely enough time in a week to do some form of exercise two to three times a week even if that's for like a 15-minute hit session. I have plenty of my clients that I make 15-minute hit sessions and I use it as their like emergency plan. Like, hey, you had a bad day? Hey, you're short on time today because you had a bunch of commitments come up randomly? Here's your 15-minute workout. You have 15 minutes. Do your workout. This is your emergency plan or this is the thing that you do when 
you know, you, you, you just don't have enough energy to do a full hour workout. Okay. So that's just as a side. But my point is, is that you have to meet yourself where you're already at. Okay. So I'm going to go ahead and pause this for a second and we're going to listen to another clip of Joe Rogan talking about this diet sustainability in a different sort of fashion. So we're going to fast forward a couple of, uh, couple of ways down and we'll hear what they have to say about this whole diet sustainability. Will increase adherence. Also, when you have a person who knows and understands all the health benefits associated with nutritional ketosis or just low carb, I think that can be a motivating factor to make them stick to the diet. So, yeah, but for a guy like you who's rational and disciplined, but people that are self-destructive and weak, they're going to, oh, I can't yeah, do then, this anymore. I need a burger. I need fries. I need a shake. Well, mm -hmm. All right, really quickly, I have to interject here. If there are people out there that are dieting so hard that they can't go out and have a hamburger or have a burger once a week or so, that in and of itself is too extreme an approach for that person when it comes from a dieting perspective. This is why having more flexibility is so important to me. Anyway, let's get back to the clip. I need a shake. Well, mm -hmm. that's, that's, mm -hmm. that's why their choice. But yes, then kind of, right? what's the point of the whole conversation then, though? Well, the point of the conversation is to avoid those motherfuckers because they're going to drag you down to their mediocre level. Well, I think, but I, you I, just I, dangerous you got, people. I, I think you need to sympathize with them a little bit I because do. I think the market, and I think so this is a fruitful area for entrepreneurs to create technologies right and foods that can actually enhance adherence or to stop eating being a strategies bitch. we know about. That too. So this is where I lose a little bit of respect for Joe Rogan. He's sort of just complaining because it's his podcast, it's his platform. He can do whatever he wants, and that's completely fine. But from a, an understanding point of view, I sort of feel bad for Lane and Dom because they are both very educated scientists who work with the types of people that Joe Rogan is making fun of every single day. And they know the science, they know the research, they know from experience how to help these people. And Rogan is sort of just saying, survival of the fittest, motherfucker. Just deal with it. And I just don't think that makes a lot of sense. Now, again, I'm a coach. Dom isn't necessarily a coach from my understanding. He's just a scientist who looks at the data. But I know he has experience in the field of ketosis and as a bodybuilder. And Lane has been working with people, specifically figure competitors. But I think he works with the, the, the general public as well who have an issue with these things that, that are faced with difficulty when it comes to dieting and losing weight. And just to back up just a little bit, there are, I'm sure there are people out there that Rogan is describing very accurately. My problem is, is that you don't solve any of the complications with dieting and weight loss by simply just making fun of somebody and, and, not trying to understand and be more empathetic. Now, don't get me wrong. Um, one thing I will say, because I, I, as you know, I go back and forth because I want to be as open-minded to different perspectives as I can. I have had clients who no matter what I do to provide motivation, resource, help, um, guidance, are so stubborn that they won't listen to what I'm telling them. They won't do what I'm telling them. And with as much empathy as I can possibly provide, still don't want to do the work. So that sort of person, I have no control over. A coach will have no control over. That person is not ready mentally to move on. But if we're talking about people 
that are trying to lose weight and they consciously have made a commitment and a decision to work hard enough to get rid of the weight and simply just need guidance, then the argument that Rogan is making doesn't make any sense to me. You can't throw everyone who has a hard time. Well, let me me rephrase that. You can't throw everyone who is overweight and has a hard time losing weight into a category of just dumb and lazy and gluttonous and they just they just eat endless amounts of food because they just do right there's always an underlying behavior that that is surfacing as a symptom through overeating or eating in excess right there's always a symptom and if you understand behavior and you understand enough about psychology and even like stress then you understand that Someone who is excessively overweight doesn't have a food problem. They typically will have an emotional problem. So it goes beyond the scope of my expertise to elaborate as to how to solve an emotional problem. I can speak from my own personal experience in saying that stress has very often caused me to overeat because eating feels good. And when you're stressed out, You don't want to feel stressed out. And so if you eat because it makes you feel good, you keep doing it. And if you're eating for pleasure only, then the likelihood that you are going to overeat increases. Notice that I didn't say you're doomed. It just increases because the types of foods that you're going to eat for pleasure are going to be calorie dense, meaning they're going to have a lot of calories per serving. So you might say, oh, well, I grabbed a handful of chips. Oh, it's only 150 calories. Well, a handful of chips is actually two or three servings. So you're actually eating potentially 450 calories worth of chips. And it certainly, well, it most more than likely did not fill you up. So anyway, let's sort of bring it back. Rogan's approach to diet sustainability in this argument that they're having is not a successful approach. And it's it's probably the most mainstream and traditional approach too, which is sort of beyond me because you know when you look at the stats um, and as you know uh, Lane talked about earlier, the adherence to dieting is atrocious. When you look at how many people diet and how many people stick with it. And it comes down to understanding a couple of principal things. Unfortunately, the vast majority of marketing material around losing weight panders to the idea that it can be done in a short amount of time because if I came out and said hey do you want to lose 50 pounds and you might go hell yeah I want to lose 50 pounds all right it's going to take you about a year and a half two years you're going to go ah fuck that I'm not going to do that right because that amount of time is hard to fathom like it's hard to imagine what you're going to have to do for that length of time But if I come out and say, hey, you could lose 50 pounds in three months, that doesn't sound too intimidating, right? That doesn't sound like, I mean, that sounds like a time commitment, but not compared to two years. So there's sort of this disconnect between the reality of what it takes to lose weight and what is being fed to you through marketing or, you know, any sort of advertisement for pills, for weight loss drinks, for weight loss methods, whatever it might be. So I hope that by listening to this podcast that you've started to understand that you're going to have to shift 
your mindset or your approach or your expectations to meet reality and meet what scientific research is showing based on how long it's going to take, that you need to be in a caloric deficit, that you need to do certain things and let diet sustainability be your driving light, right? Oftentimes you'll hear in, in religions or in, um, you know, special interest groups, whatever it might be, even like Alcohols Anonymous, they have sort of a creed or a commandment or they have what I simply call principles of whatever, right? For me, it would be principles of weight loss. Aside from calorie deficits, it being sort of the driver of energy change or energy balance change, so weight loss, weight maintenance, or weight gain, depending on your goals. Other than that principle of how you lose actual body fat, the second most important principle is adherence, which means that, like, here's a perfect example, and I, I use this with my clients um, to help them understand this idea. If eating pizza every Friday night allows you to be more adherent to your diet plan, we'll call it a diet plan or, or diet phase or approach, then something where you don't include pizza I'm going to put you on the diet program that includes pizza. Because as a coach, I understand that I'm not trying to get you to lose weight in one to two months. I'm not like a, prof a professional celebrity crash diet expert. That's not my, my audience. That's not what I'm trying to do in this industry. What I'm trying to help you understand is you are going to have to make fundamental lifestyle changes, but you don't have to make them by tomorrow. You have to make small little shifts that allow you to have what you want, but also make a little bit of a sacrifice, usually in the form of time, to do these other things that you're not used to doing in order to not feel like shit, which is typically like just paraphrasing what most people want to, f to change about their, their life and their health. Like if I was to boil it down to, you know, obviously people have strength goals, they have body composition goals, but at the end of the day, not feeling like shit is a pretty universal thing that most people want. And I would imagine that's what you want too, like if I was to boil it down. Well, you're going to have to make some sacrifices with not to, to not feel like shit, but that doesn't necessarily mean it has to be a miserable experience. Like I talked about earlier, if your workouts make you want to vomit every single time, let's dial back the intensity of your workout. Let's make it something that you have to commit to from a time standpoint and, and not something that you have to commit to from a like absolute exhaustion standpoint. That's why the example that I gave earlier of telling one of my clients to just go on walks every single day and build a habit, I said, that's going to make you feel better now and it's not going to make you want to puke and it's not that difficult of a time commitment. And when you understand that, when you understand and you, you put the priority of consistency in front of the result that you think you're immediately going to get from it, and by that I mean you know weight loss or some sort of like number change on the scale, when you start to shift from I want to see the scale move to I want to feel better, I want to look better, I want to sleep better, I want to have more energy, I don't want to feel like shit, if you prioritize those things over what the scale says, you will get results. Because all the things that I just listed are, are pieces to the adherence puzzle. Now, let's flip that on its head. Let's say that we do everything that we can 
to create change on the scale. But we don't really worry about how you feel, how you sleep, what your exercise is like, or what you eat. What, what might that look like? I'm almost afraid to say it because I'm sure somebody listening to this will be like, oh, I'm going to do that because I want to see the scale change. Before I even say this, disclaimer, do not do this. I'm not recommending that you do this, what I'm about to say, but I'm giving you a contrast example. Don't drink any water. All right. Try to uh, drink liquids that give you a diuretic so that help you pee free water. Don't eat anything. And do that, and you will see a scale change. Okay? So, like, for instance, let's say that you get sick, right? You're probably not eating as much. Maybe you have, like, strep throat or something, and so you don't really want to eat. Maybe you have soup or something, something soft, something easy. Maybe you have the flu, whatever. You're probably going to drop, like, three or four pounds. But what happens once you're done being sick and you eat, you start eating normally again? Your weight is going to go back up to where it was before you got sick, you know, give or take. So my point is, is that you have to look at the sustainability of the approach in order to be able to tell whether or not the weight that you're going to lose is going to sustainably stay off. It's one of the reasons why I, I tell people, listen, when I ask you to weigh yourself, I'm not asking you to compare Monday's weigh-in to Wednesday's weigh-in and then compare those two weigh-ins to Friday's weigh-in. I want to see what your weight trend looks like in a month. All I care about is the first weigh-in of the month and the last weigh-in of the month. Everything in between teaches you how your body fluctuates weight. But you have to sort of look at what your scale weight is doing from a much broader perspective. Every 30 days, your, your weigh-in will tell you something that's actually useful. On a daily basis, your weigh-ins are not useful. And so what you have to start telling yourself to be more adherent to the program that you're on is I am measuring myself every day as a learning lesson to see how my weight fluctuates, not as not to torture myself on an emotional roller coaster that makes me feel bad about myself because my weight is changing from day to day. If you only have good days when your weight is down and you have bad days when your weight is up, you need to you need to start listening to more advice about how to use the scale to your advantage. I've had clients that told me from the very beginning, I will not weigh myself more than once a week. And I said, that's fine, right? Some people's psychology is beyond my scope of expertise. And so what I will say is if we can weigh ourselves, like I've had a client where I weighed, we weighed twice a month at the beginning of the month and the end of the month. And we set up other methods for measuring her progress that she was, that she felt was a better mental um, place for her to be in. And when I was first coaching, I didn't really understand. I sort of felt as though that wasn't going to work. And then what I realized was, is that even though statistically speaking, like it's good to see someone's weight fluctuation from a coach's perspective, what I was potentially going to sacrifice is her adherence. And you never want to sacrifice your adherence for something that's sort of a, sh a short-term change. So that's why I said in the beginning, if you eat pizza every Friday night and that helps you stay sustained in your current you know, eating plan to lose weight or to improve anything that you're trying to improve, then you should eat pizza every Friday night because it's what promotes better adherence 
to a consistent uh, calorie deficit or a consistent weight loss approach. So that's sort of my message overall. Like I, I keep sort of reiterating this point, why diet sustainability should be your number one weight loss priority. It's because, first of all, what you're doing now isn't working or else you wouldn't be looking for another for other answers to a problem that you're not solving right now. And you can't argue with someone who's losing, let's say, you know, a pound a week, which by the way is an amazing average to have. I'll have somebody reach out to me and says, I'm only losing two pounds a week. I'm like, only? Two pounds a week is amazing progress. Like that's great. Like I, I wouldn't even consider doing anything different if you're losing two pounds a week. As you get, as you trim more and more body fat off, that rate might slow down. And there is a range, and I'll reiterate it, 0.5 to 2 pounds of weight loss a week is your range. If you lose any more than 2 pounds a week, consider it a bonus. And also check back to see if what you're doing is sustainable from a calorie deficit, deficit standpoint. And if you're losing less than 0.5 pounds per week, you're probably not in a deep enough calorie deficit. So like, let's say you're losing 0.25 pounds a week. There's two questions you should ask yourself. Is this the most effort I can put into this weight loss plan right now? If the answer is no, decrease calories a little bit more. If the answer is yes, you have to come to the realization that 0.25 pounds a week is the best you can do right now. And you shouldn't feel bad for not being able to lose more weight because you're literally doing the most that you can right now. And, and the other thing I would say is ask yourself, is the pace that I'm going out, do I see it as being sustainable a month, two months, three months down the road? Am I sacrificing too much, right? The more you sacrifice from the beginning, the harder it's going to be to maintain that diet approach or that the, the length of that dieting approach. But if you can ask yourself, well, no, you know what? This is actually really doable, like I might not be losing weight at the rate that I think I should be, but I'm still losing weight. This is a very doable approach for me. This isn't making me sacrifice too much. It's challenging on some days, like social outings and things like that, but you know, it's still manageable. I'm not sacrificing too much of, of the amount of food that I want to eat. I'm not sacrificing the types of foods that I want to eat. Like I still have like, for example, pizza on Friday night or, you know, like, uh, the previous weekend was my bachelorette, uh, bachelorette, <laughs> my bachelor party, and we went up to Mammoth Lakes, and I drank and ate as much as I wanted to. I didn't have any reservations about thinking, oh man, I'm going to get fat this weekend. No, I just said, you know what, if I want that cookie, I'm going to have that cookie. If I want that whiskey and root beer, which is uh, turning out to be one of my favorite drinks, I'm going to have the whiskey and root beer. And I didn't let sort of the dieting mindset preoccupy me during that fun time. And that took a long time for me to develop. Like I didn't just come out of the gate with that. It took me time to understand that two or three days eating in a slight caloric surplus, which I would imagine based on how, how active we were during that weekend, that I was probably eating three to 500 calories more than I normally eat in the form of foods that I don't normally overindulge in. And as a result, I probably had a three or four day calorie surplus. But on Monday, I got right back to my normal grind. I didn't starve myself. I didn't fast for 24 hours. I just got back to my normal routine, which is typically 
you know, fasting for 16 hours because I'm not hungry in the morning and I don't force myself to eat breakfast or eat anything unless I'm actually hungry. I try to have one serving of vegetables, one serving of protein. And then if I need more food, I have a carbohydrate source. If I don't need more food, then I don't eat a carbohydrate source. I don't stress out about it. On days where I'm going to lift weights, I try to get a little bit more carbs because I need those carbs to fuel my workouts. And so I didn't change anything because I ate more calories over the weekend. And that's how you develop diet sustainability is you don't go completely in one direction where you never eat any junk foods or you never have a day where you're slightly over your calories because that's just not realistic. As a coach, I've only coached one person who is very, very, very strict with their, their calorie intake, meaning that they didn't more than, I think it was like twice a month, go over their calorie deficit. And they lost weight very consistently, but they also weren't able to last as long in that dieting phase. Part of my coaching is checking in with my clients and making sure that they meet a couple of different criteria. I ask them about their mood. I ask them about their cravings. I ask them about their appetite or their hunger strength. I ask them about their sleep. And if they answered questions in a specific way, I know that they're sort of at a point now where the dieting mentality, the calorie deficit is, is eating away at their adherence. And so now we're going to talk about sort of the last part that I want to cover before this episode is over, which is diet breaks. Okay. Diet breaks have been probably the most important thing that I've learned, not only for myself, but for my clients. I think there's this, this idea that you have to be in a caloric deficit the entire time that you're losing weight or that, that you are the entire time that you set out to lose weight, like from day one to the last day of your, your predetermined diet, that you have to be in a calorie deficit every single day in order to lose weight. And that's not necessarily true, especially if you're thinking about this, which you should be from a lifestyle change perspective. Are you going to be in a calorie deficit your entire life? Hell no. That's, that's the quickest way to fail. Some of my most successful clients will diet sometimes for just a month, maintain, eat at maintenance, so eat a little bit more calories for a week to give themselves a break, and then go back to their, their calorie deficit. Sometimes, depending on the person, they can go two months. I haven't had anyone that's gone you know, four months, but my point is, is that you have to understand that if you work hard and take a break, work hard and take a break, work hard and take a break, you're going to have much more sustainable weight loss results than you were if you were to force yourself to diet when all of your sort of metabolic signals are in the red, right? We talked to Jade about that. We talked to Jade about the fact that if you if you force your if you try to force your metabolism to do things from from a purely logical standpoint, meaning like you're following a calorie deficit, but you're constantly hungry, your cravings are out of control, eventually you will break. And you breaking is not a sign that you're weak. It's a sign that you're not listening to your body. So that's why I've, I create in my coaching programs, I create a, a form that a client fills out every single week that checks on these things. If I have a client that has really intense cravings that entire week, if it's a female, it's usually due to her menstrual cycle. Not always, but like nine times out of 10, right? So what I tell my female clients during their menstrual cycle when they have those cravings, 
what I say is, if you need to, have that extra piece of chocolate, right? If it helps satisfy your cravings. Now, if that single square of chocolate leads to seven squares of chocolate, that's a different approach. We obviously have to handle that in a different way. But if it satisfies the cravings, the adherence is going to go up because the cravings are going down. So it sort of resets the craving cycle, as I like to call it. If I have a client who is reporting for an entire week, on average anyway, that their hunger is very intense, then I bump their calories up to, to maintenance for a week. And this typically happens to somebody who has been dieting for like three or four straight weeks, depending on the depth of their calorie deficit, which typically speaking as a coach, I don't like to go past you know 400 calories on average. Um, again, it depends on the person because everything's, you know, customized to a lot of different variables. So if they're on a more aggressive fat loss approach, then for a week I say, let's go back to maintenance or maybe not maintenance right away because that's, that might've changed since the last time that we were dieting, but you know, maybe we inject 200 more calories. So they're only in a 200 calorie deficit. You might go, well, isn't their weight loss going to be slower? And the answer to that is on paper. Yeah, because they're not in as deep of a calorie deficit. But I'm not concerned with what the, the next month looks like. I'm concerned with what the next three, six, nine, 12 months looks like. And part of my job as a coach is to say, if you're experiencing these things, it's only going to come back stronger if you keep forcing the issue because you think that you have to be in a deep calorie deficit to lose weight. This is one of the reasons why slow and controlled or slow and steady is my overall weight loss approach as a coach. I ask people that are interested in coaching with me, are you more interested in rapid weight loss? Or are you more interested in sustainable weight loss? And sometimes I have to define that. And sometimes like I, I created my rap, my 28 day rapid fat loss protocol and I gave it away and I'm giving it away for free. Because I, if you are willing to commit to the protocol, you can lose weight very quickly. You can sort of, you know, make things happen in a, in a quick way. But at the end of that protocol, I have a little section that says, hey, guess what? You did an amazing job. You lost weight. I'm sure you feel better. Now let's find a way to be sustainable after this. Like, it's probably not a good idea to have the 50% days that I they talk about in the rapid fat loss protocol for the rest of your life. That's a very aggressive fat loss approach. But maybe let's stick to like the 85, 90, 95 range to maintain what you're doing. All right. And if you're not sure what I'm talking about, uh, click the link in my bio. It says 28 day rapid fat loss or if, or for whatever reason you can't find it in the link in my bio. Cause I don't know if the links are, are clickable. Go to my Instagram page, click the link there. And one of the tabs will say 28 day rapid fat loss protocol. It's very easy to understand. You can approach it from a calorie standpoint or you can approach it from a non-calorie standpoint, meaning that you don't have to count calories, but if you are someone who already counts and that works for you, do that. If you're not somebody who counts calories, then you sort of implement a fasting approach or an intermittent fasting approach, okay? But anyway, my point is, is that you have to work with your metabolism. You have to work with the signals that your body is giving you if you ever hope to lose weight long-term and keep it off. And so the slow and steady approach, I believe, is the best approach for the majority of people 
when you're thinking about weight loss as a long-term success, like you, you lose the weight and you keep it off. Okay. So anyway, I hope you enjoyed sort of the different perspective that I gave in this podcast as a result of some of the clips that I got from that Joe Rogan snippet uh, where you talked to um, Lane Norton and Dom D'Agostino. Um, you can go check out the rest of that video, by the way. I think it's like a 10-minute video if you want to hear some of the other points. I just wanted to highlight some of the, the areas that I thought were worth talking about um, because I see Joe's perspective as a predominant mindset or philosophy in my scope of practice and I wanted to give my two cents as to why I didn't think Rogan's approach was the best approach. I still think he made a valid point that discipline has to play a role but I think he emphasized the importance of of discipline too much instead of understanding that discipline is sort of like a catalyst but behavior change is what creates the long-term effect that doesn't require as much discipline. Like for me personally, knowing knowing in my life, I haven't necessarily improved my discipline, but I've still stayed consistent with my workout routine and my nutrition routine because I've proven to myself with soliciting some discipline in the beginning that I feel better and I enjoy my experience as a human being better when I eat more vegetables. I notice that I'm not as hungry all the time when I include more protein. I know the importance of stress management for uh, reducing binge eating or eating purely out of pleasure and not also out of, you know, care for my body. I understand that balance is very important, right? I've tried 100% clean diets and they never work. I understand the importance of not letting yourself get to a point where all you're eating is junk food. And what you start to understand is that most of us are sort of bouncing between two extremes. Right? When it comes to nutrition, we're, we're jumping between overeating and undereating. I'll have people reach out to me saying, I overate on Sunday. I'm not going to eat it all on Monday. And the first question I ask is, are you not eating because you're not hungry? Or are you punishing yourself for overeating? The majority of the time, it's I'm punishing myself for overeating. I said, how do you think that's going to work out for you? And there's usually a pause. And then there's usually, I don't think it's going to work. I said, then don't do it. So anyway, thanks for listening to this podcast today. Excuse me. Of course, I I get a burp right at the end. Thanks for listening to this podcast today. If you enjoyed this podcast episode, then I would really appreciate a rating and preferably a five-star rating because I put five stars into this podcast and I know that you're getting five stars out of it. If you know somebody who is sort of struggling with weight loss from a mental and a physical standpoint, I would highly recommend that you share this podcast with them. I've had lots of people reach out to me and say that I am helping them change their perspective on weight loss. So I know that my message, and I already knew this because I have confidence in my my coaching and my abilities, but I know that this is helping people. And there are plenty of people that are still out there, millions of people that are still being sort of guided by the old school dogma that that is still being perpetuated in the mainstream. And the more people we can pull out of that ineffective approach and that lack of scientifically backed approach and bring them into a scope of thinking that allows them to have more freedom and actually have science-backed information, 
the better. Okay, so I would appreciate it if you shared it with them. And then reach out to me if you have any questions or if you just want to say, hey, thanks for, you know, doing this podcast. Um, you know, thanks for, and, and thank you for listening. Um, the feedback that I get from you is how I determine the content that I want to put out because I'm doing this for you. Like I, I don't like just listening to myself talk. <laughs> I like to talk, but just listening to myself talk really isn't why I'm in this business. I'm in this business because I was for so many years troubled with misinformation And so my passion comes from being just like you and trying to find a solution and yet feeling sort of lost in all the conflicting and the amount of information uh, information out there. So anyway, thanks for listening to this podcast and I will see you in a future podcast episode.